Welcome. Give it up for the video guys. Isn't that good? They did a great job on that. A lot, of, a lot of hard work goes into that stuff, and so I really appreciate the effort of those guys on that. So good to be here. Uh, if we haven't met, maybe we can afterwards. I love your church. I love what God is doing here. Thanks for being a, a church for my daughter to not only work and serve at, but it's been so fun to watch her grow into who God has made her to be through the opportunities that um, you guys have given her in, in the role that she has here. And uh, I don't know if you know this, I've tried to hire away from you guys several times, and she keeps saying no, because she loves you guys so much. So will you pray for her? <laughs> saying no to her dad and yes to you? What's up with that? Actually, I'm really excited um, for her and just what God is doing. So I hope you realize 514 is unique. You guys know that? Sometimes I, I like to send people in my church away to other churches and they come back and realize once again like wow this is this is awesome what's going on here and so pray for this place and uh, you know get in with all your worth as God is using you guys in significant ways well as you saw in the video I want to talk to you about this idea of refueling because I believe that there's almost like an epidemic that exists in our culture and I don't know that we really know how to get out and away from this epidemic. And I think someday when the history books are written, these three words will show up in the history books that describe our culture. You agree? Overwhelmed, overscheduled, and exhausted. I mean, these words, unfortunately, describe so many of our lives. And, and it applies to everyone, young or old. You know, it doesn't matter the season of life you're in. Uh, we have to, to fight against this all the time. It's just a reality for us. People are moving fast. And I, I live in like a mid-sized town, about 40,000 people. And if you didn't know, you guys move a lot faster than we do in a mid-sized town. When I come over here, I'm just like, wow, where'd all the people come from? The traffic, and I get cranky and irritable when I'm here. And so pray for me when I come over in regards to that. But it's like we have been taught somewhere along the way that being really busy and having really maxed out full schedules is better. And to have more than what we have right now and to accomplish more than what we've accomplished up to this point will bring more significance to our, our lives and more meaning to our lives. 
And when you stop and think about that, you guys, I mean, just look around at our culture and how busy we are and how fast we're moving and how, how much more we have. I mean, I would argue that those things aren't really better. I would argue that they lead to a life of this where you have to, to struggle and try to manage these three very real realities that we all live in. As Carm said and Joel said almost 30 years ago, I started our church, it's called Oakbrook Church in Kokomo, Indiana. It's about 50 miles north of Indianapolis in, in central Indiana. And we started out very much like 514. Very few people. We started in a, a living room of a friend's house and just talking about this idea of a church. So we had hardly any people, no facilities, uh, no money really to speak of in those early days to get started. But we had a dream. Right? We had this vision, this idea that if we would start not just another church, but a, a different kind of church that would appeal to people that didn't go to church, then God would use us as a part of his great movement called the church to reach more people and to introduce more people to Christ. And so we started out in that way with you know just meager means and getting going. And I was, uh, I don't know, we were probably married about, three or four years at that point, Rhonda and my wife Rhonda and I, and back in those days, some of you can relate to this, we were having kids, like it felt like every other week, it, you know, wasn't the reality, but Carmen and our youngest Johnny, they're a year and a week apart, so that was like, what, when Rhonda told me that, and we have four total, and so neck deep in a you know, new marriage, little kids, some of you are in this reality, a new church starting up, and I wanted the church to succeed so bad that I was just working so hard, going to all kinds of meetings and speaking every weekend and actually singing every weekend and helping with setup and tear down and all that, just doing everything I could to get this, this church like a rocket off the launching pad and, and get it to where it was in orbit and, and growing and doing well. And I came home after a long day in the in the, that season of my life, and we had dinner that night, and after dinner, the kids, you know, kind of went away and started playing. Rhonda was cleaning up, and I was sitting there at the table, and I never had this happen to me before in my life, but I was looking down, and I was just kind of in, in a zone and thinking about, you know, what had happened that day and just the season of life I was in, and I started feeling emotional, like not happy emotional, you know? I started feeling emotion inside of me, and then it started coming out, and I, I started to cry. And the weirdest thing about it was, is I didn't know why I was crying. Have you ever had that happen to you? Now, I know a lot of the females among us can go, oh, yeah, that happens to me all the time. But it doesn't happen to us all the time, right? Rhonda, early in our marriage, she used to do that. She'd just be crying. I'd say, why are you crying? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, logical brain. So you have no reason to be crying, then... Stop crying. You know, I, do, I got huge points for that early on in it all. This is the first time it ever happened to me. And the weird thing about it was I didn't know why I was crying, and I couldn't stop crying. I wanted to shut it off, but it just kept coming and coming. And Rhonda looked over at me at one point, and she's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, that has never happened to me before. And it was the first time in my life where I had experienced like so much fatigue at a soul level 
that I was just burnt out. I had heard the term before, but I didn't, you know, I'd never been there before. And I knew I was in trouble because I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know how to stop it. And I was just so exhausted from trying to get this thing moving. And so I had a, a friend, he's still a great friend of mine, and he was a mentor in those early days, and I, I now call him my Yoda. He's like my go-to guy. And so I called him a couple days later, and I started to unpack what had happened to me around the dinner table that evening. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Mark, you know what? You've come to a point in your life where you've got to learn to do soul care. Soul care. I'd never heard that before. Have you ever heard that term? He said, you have got to pay attention to your soul. And I remember saying, I'm like, Dan, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, what is that? And he said, well, I'll help you. But I'm telling you, you've got to learn to do soul care or you will never become the person that God has created you to be. You'll never be able to do the work that God has called you to do unless you learn to do soul care. And so he began to take me down a pathway of understanding the significance of this part of our being called the soul and how we need to pay attention to it and to care for it. And you guys, as, as I kind of introduce this idea to you of soul care, I, I would venture to say that most people in our culture do a horrible job at soul care. They don't even know, like, what it means. Like, we understand physical care. Like, you can buy a membership to a place and go, you know, every day of the week if you want, take care of yourself physically. But where do you go or where do you buy a membership where you could go, say, three to five times a week and nourish your soul and care for your soul and build your soul? It's so foreign in our culture. But it is so significant. In fact, when I say soul, what do you think of? Like, where is it? What does it look like? Let alone, how do you care for it? And even though we struggle to wrap our minds around this concept of this word called soul, we know the effects of not taking care of our soul. Like, here's, here's some negative effects when you don't pay attention to your soul. Check this out. Soul neglect manifests itself in these ways, like self-absorption. You're just all about you and what you want and your agenda, and that's what matters most. Shame, apathy, you know, you have no, no motivation, toxic anger, physical fatigue, isolation. You want to pull away from people. I was telling Joel in between services, I know when, I, when I'm neglecting my soul because I'll go to church and in between, you know, things that are happening, I'll just kind of want to hang back behind and not really engage with people. It's a sure red flag to me that I need to start paying attention to my soul again. Stronger temptation to sin, drivenness, feelings of desperation, panic, insecurity, callousness, like uh, your heart is just hard toward people and the things of God, judgmental spirit, cynicism, like negativity in that way. And probably the most uh, urgent or damaging one is this lack of desire for God. So we get this, right? We don't really know how to define soul, but man, we know the effects of not managing it. And then on the positive side, look what happens when you do soul care and you have health. 
You love better. There's more joy. You feel compassion toward people. You not only want to give grace to people that have wronged you, but you can receive it when you need it. It's a beautiful exchange in the world of grace. A generous spirit comes out of soul health. Like, if you, if you introduce me to a stingy person who thinks all they have is for them, I guarantee they don't have a clue what's going on at the soul level in their life. Because you cannot have a healthy soul and not just want to give. Give of time, treasure, your resources, all of that. It's what it means to have a healthy soul. Peace, ability to trust people, to live from a place of humility. Creativity comes out of a healthy soul. Vision about what could be. Energy to make what could be happen. And then focus while you're in the middle of it. So this is, it's, it's a beautiful way to live. And it is all tied to this thing called soul care. I read a book a while back. I recommend it to you. It's called Soul Keeping by a guy named John Ortberg. It's an awesome book about this idea of caring for your soul. And in the book, John writes about his Yoda, a guy named Dallas Willard. Dallas passed away a few years ago, but he has written some amazing uh, works, and he was an expert on the soul and how to nourish and care for your soul. And in one of his books, uh, Dallas writes these words about the soul and the importance of it. He said, fundamental aspects of life, such as art and sleep and sex and ritual and family and parenting, community, health and meaningful work. Look at this, you guys, dial in. They are all, in fact, soul functions. And they fail and they fall apart to the degree that your soul diminishes or it, it shrivels, it gets smaller when you don't care for it. He says, when we speak of the human soul then, we are speaking of the deepest level of life and power in the human being. That is a statement right there. It is the deepest level of who we are as human beings. It's a big deal. In the, the Old Testament book of Proverbs, Solomon writes about soul care. And he says this in chapter 4, verse 23. Look at these words here. Above all else, okay, like stop right there if I could not let you see this, but stop right there. Look at that. That's like red alert. That's like pay attention. Above all else in your life, Solomon is saying, guard your heart or your soul. Pay attention to what is happening at the soul of your, of your life. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. Everything you do as a human being flows from your soul and the condition of your soul. There's a great story in the Bible that if you've been around church, you've heard this story before. It, it comes out of the life of a family, Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus. And they were the closest friends that Jesus had while he was on earth. And he would love to pull away from public ministry. And you can imagine what it was like for Jesus. Became so popular, so attractive. He would walk into a community and people would flock to him. So the demands of people pulling and wanting something from him were huge. And every now and then, 
he wanted to get away from that and go to a safe place with some safe friends and just hang out. And that's what he does in this instance that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a, a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Look at, look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me with an exclamation point. Like Martha's got some attitude going as she's confronting Jesus here. And in verse 41, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. It's a real interesting statement here in this story. Only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus is like drawing a line in the sand. No. What Mary's doing is what needs to be done. And I'm not going to stop this interaction with her right now. I love this story. Because it shows the humanness of our journeys. And it shows Jesus in a more relaxed state. But yet still driving home what is really important. And I'm just curious. like If Jesus knocked on your door and showed up with a few disciples unannounced. How many of you would be like Martha? Can you raise your hand? How many would you get all worked up, preparing, running around, cleaning, all that kind of stuff? Look at all you Marthas. Okay, how many Marys? You just chill at his feet and talk to him. I can't see you real well, but I don't think I see too many of you. But the ones that I do see, you slackers you. How could you do that when Jesus shows up, right? I think it's just fascinating how... More people raise their hand when I ask how many Marthas we got than Marys. And again, it's tied to our culture. Overscheduled, running hard, exhausted. You know, it's just it's that frenetic pace of life that we understand. And so a lot of us would be that way. So think about the story. Jesus shows up. He walks in. Mary, can you, can you picture her? She's so excited to see Jesus. She just wants to be with him. She doesn't care what the house looks like. She doesn't care if there's anything on the stove. She just wants to be with her friend and her Lord and talk to him and hear about his life and hear stories of, of what's going on in this amazing journey that Jesus was on. It's such a beautiful picture of just coming close to the one that she loves so much. And then you've got Martha. She's freaking out. She's frenetic. She's in the kitchen. She's got a wooden spoon. She's stirring up stuff, getting it going. She looks out of the corner of her eye at her slacker sister, and she's trying to get her attention, get in and help her. But Mary is just oblivious to what Martha's doing, and Martha just, she snaps. She can't take it anymore. So she goes in, and she doesn't confront Mary. Isn't that interesting? She goes right to Jesus. And she asked him the most ridiculous question you could ever ask Jesus. Jesus, don't you care? Are you kidding me, Martha? This is the most compassionate person that has ever walked the, the face of the earth. And you're asking him if he, 
if he cares, right? Why don't you have Mary come and help me? She asked him. And Jesus says to her, like maybe your mom or your grandmother said to you sometimes, his response to her is saying her name not just once but twice. And, and I don't think he's doing it to like make her feel guilty or make her feel bad or to shame her in any way. I think he's just disappointed in how she's, you know, all just worked up in worry. And so he says to her, Martha, Martha. Uh, nowadays we'd say, Martha, just chill out. Just chill out, Martha. Just relax. I didn't come here for you to make this so complicated. I didn't come here for you to, you know, whip up the best meal you can whip up for me. I mean, I got food covered. I just fed 5,000 people a few days ago, right? I turned some water into some killer wine, Martha. I mean, I got the food and drink thing figured out, right? I just came here to be with you. And you know what, you guys, listen to me. You know what this says about Jesus? You know what, the, what I would say um, Jesus wants the most from us, his followers? More than our service, more than even our worship. Here's what he wants. He wants a relationship with us, right? Isn't this beautiful? He wants to talk to us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to connect with us. And for maybe some, somebody here today or some of you here today and you're new to church and you're trying to figure out Jesus, this is Jesus. He wants to move into your life as a leader, as a friend. You know, of course, as your savior from your sin. But he, he just wants to do life with you all along the way. Isn't that beautiful? And this is what we see in this story. I, I would argue that he was saying to Martha, Martha, you're overwhelmed. You're overscheduled. You're exhausted. Just chill. Let's just pause. And let's just connect at a soul level. And let me just nurture your soul with my words and my compassion. And I think even in the way he probably wanted just to look into her eyes and into her soul and just communicate to her how much she mattered to him. So, you guys, how do you do soul care? Do you have any idea on it? Like if I, I'm going to give you that assignment today. We're going into summer, and we chill a little bit, at least for a few weeks in the summer if we get some vacation. So how do you do that? Well, back to my story about my friend, my Yoda guy. That day when I called him, he, he said to me, he started talking about a bucket. He said, I know what's wrong with you. Your bucket's empty. I'm like, what is a bucket, right? So he was, he was referring to my soul as a bucket. And he said, you've got to learn what um, fills your bucket to the brim, like what practices you can engage in that fill your bucket. And then I'll never forget it. He said, you know what? And I'm going to tell you something about your soul and your bucket. It, they'll spring leaks. They always do. So you got to figure out what drains your bucket. And so he, he began a conversation with me about those two things, what fills your bucket and what drains it, what fills your soul and what depletes your soul. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about in those days. But it was so helpful for me to understand it because he helped me understand that when I engaged in consistent uh, soul-replenishing, refueling practices, where my bucket was, was full, 
I could do those things that, that were under that, that category of soul health. I loved better. Problems didn't seem as big. I found solutions faster. I liked people more. Even people that didn't like me, I could tolerate them, right? And I could have grace for them when my bucket was full. Life was so, it was much more, life was like Jesus said, that it could be abundant. It could be full. If we do this kind of replenishing activity of filling our bucket. And then he, he took me down the road of, of what depletes your bucket. I didn't have a clue at the time. I didn't know what it was. I learned in my conversation with him that I'm mildly introverted. So seasons where there's tons of people in my life, it, was, it depleted me. And I needed to give myself permission, he told me, to not always be with people. In those early days of church, it's like, how could I not do that, right? I felt like I had to be with people all the time, trying to build into them and all that. I realized, too, that one of the big depleters for me was conflict. I don't like conflict. Do you? <laughs> There's a couple weirdos here that like conflict with people, but most of us don't, right? And I didn't like it. And I had been in a season of some pretty intense conflict with some people, and it was just draining me, and I didn't even know it at the time. So he helped me navigate some of this kind of stuff. And my assignment to you today is, like, what, what is a, the, your bucket fillers for you, and what are their depleters for you? You need to know what they are. Like, if you're married you, or with a significant other, talk about this stuff over dinner. Try to figure it out. Because, you guys, everything's going to flow out of the condition of your soul. So you got to know what it is. And let me get real practical with you as we, we kind of land this thing today. And I want to show you, um, like, some of the, the, the bucket fillers for me. The first one I discovered um, as I went on this journey was what I call time with God. This is a famous uh, picture Michelangelo painted of God reaching down to a human being. I love the picture. And time with God is you know, hands down, the biggest bucket filler for me. And I know it is for many of you as well. I have a home office, and I get up early, and I go down to this office, and in one of the corners of the office, I have this chair. It's not a really cool chair. It's not a really expensive chair, but it's my chair, right? And I love this chair because I, I get a cup of coffee. I go down there. I get in that chair, and it's where I do this with God. Read the Bible. Maybe I'm reading a great book, pray, talk to God. Sometimes I'll turn on some worship tunes and just get caught up in worshiping God. And that chair, you guys, in the corner of my office, it's like, it's like holy ground for me. It's become like sacred space in my life. And I cannot go very long without getting to that place and, and having that time with God. And when I do, it's, it's a huge bucket filler for me. So much of my life that is meaningful and significant, whether it's with my wife or my kids, my grandkids, or the church that I lead, so much of the fruit, the positive fruit that's been born out of my life, I can trace it back to a moment in that chair where I felt God whisper to me, hey, you need to do this. Or you need to love this way. Or you need to relate to your wife this way. Or you need to pour into your kids like this. Or you need to take this new hill with the church in that way. It can all be traced back 
to that sacred space in my life. And my question for you is, do you have that kind of a place where you go to? And if you do, go to it like it's your job, because it is. It's where you will find soul care in those times with God. Like I tell my church, 15 minutes a day will do wonders for your soul. If you'll find a sacred space, open up the Word of God, talk to God 15 minutes a day. You can do that. Just 15 minutes, start there and see where it goes. So time with God. A second one for me is time with my family. Uh, this isn't all my family, but it's some of them. This was actually taken here at Thanksgiving. We were at Carmen Brad's place. And uh, I love being with my family. And it, it really is a bucket filler for me. And now that we have grandkids, it's like, you know, turn on a hose, man, when I'm with those little rascals, right? We have five of them. And no joke, I can literally physically feel my bucket go up when I'm with those little rascals. It's some grandparents know what I'm talking about. I can just look at them, and it's like somebody's turning on the filler in my soul, and it, it's rising up. I was over in Lafayette, Indiana, where, where our oldest daughter Sarah lives a few weeks ago, and we were babysitting our, one of our granddaughters. We have three three-year-olds right now, McKenna. And then her brother Mason, he's nine. He was our first uh, grandchild. He was at school. And so we were there all day. It's time for the bus to come. So I went out to the bus stop by myself to get him right when he got off the bus. I was so excited. He gets off the bus, gives me a hug in front of his friends, which was a big deal for a nine-year-old, right? And we're walking back to the house, just talking, starting to reconnect. We go in the house. We, I sit down in this, this wide leather chair they have. He crawls up next to me, and I get him, like, right here, right? And we just start talking and connected, and I'm tickling him. We're just laughing, having fun. And then little McKenna, the three-year-old, she wants in on the action. So she crawls up next to me. So I'm, like, I'm double-loaded, right, with these little guys next to me. And they're bantering back and forth, and we're just laughing and talking and having just a great time reconnecting and everything. And no joke, you guys, it, right in, in that moment, I felt God whisper to me, Mark, this is what really matters right here. This is it. Drink it up in this moment. And, and I, I don't always, you know, understand some of those leadings from God, but that was like so easy. And as soon as I, I realized it, man, it was like, shh, here goes the bucket again, Right? Family is awesome for me. Another one is this one here, satisfying work. Um, I love what I do, and, and I love that God, you know, has led me in this journey to understand what he created me to do and called me to do. I love the church. I love it in any shape, size, form, style. I just, I love what it's about. Um, it's why I'm always so interested in 514 and what's happening around here and they're literally, you guys, I can't believe I get to do what I do with my life um, in leading a church. And it's not easy, right? It's not for the faint of heart and all that, but it's so meaningful. It's so meaningful to use the best hours of my day to try to help people understand who Jesus is. I mean, as a church, we can literally redirect a human soul for all of eternity. There's nothing like that. And when God allows me to be a part of that, as he has for some 30 years now, and I'm in the middle of it, 
and, and we see life change happen, man. It's just, it's a filler for me. I have a friend, he's in my small group. He's, he's probably, in this season of my life, my best friend. And he wasn't a churchgoer. His daughter came to our student ministry, and then she told her family, you got to come to this church. It's awesome. So her mom was open to coming. Her dad wasn't. She started dragging him in, almost literally dragging him to church. He was doing it because his life was a mess at the time, and, and he needed help. So he comes in, but as he was coming, he would sit in the back, and he was trying to figure out excuses to not come back. You know, people like that, you know, music's too loud. Or So one of his things was, at the time, I had a fossil watch, which was really cool and hip, and it was big and fat and large and silver and all this. And I was preaching with that fossil watch on, and he saw it, and on the way out, he told me later, he said to his wife and daughter, he goes, did you see what he was wearing today? And they're like, what? <laughs> that watch he had on. And they're like, what? He goes, I'm telling you, that's a Rolex watch that he's got on. All the money in that church is going right in his wallet. So he would do this kind of stupid stuff along the way. So we, got, we both got invited to a business lunch, and he got there late, and the only seat available was next to me. <laughs> Don't you love how God does this? And so I knew a little bit. I talked to his daughter a little bit. I knew a little bit of his story. So I, just, I turned to him at one point, and I said, hey, man, how about lunch sometime? And in a weak moment, what was he going to say? He's like, yeah, okay. So we start going out. We hit it off. We have this natural chemistry. And we start talking about life and God and all that. And then one night, he was at the, his place where he was working at the time, and it all made sense to him, the story of Jesus and how Jesus wanted to write him into his story. So he got down on his knees at a car dealership in a car bay there, all by himself, all of his employees went home. And right there, he just he had that moment with God where he asked God into his life and realized, as we sang today, how much he needed God. It was so awesome. And he told me about it, and we kept building our relationship. And now, long story short, he has a, a home improvement business. He got invited one time to help an older 80-year-old lady who had cancer do some rental work in her house. She didn't have the money to do it. So he went in, and he did it totally for free. And it rocked him so much. He, he Actually, when he got done with that project, he came directly to where I was at. And with tears in his eyes, he said to me, that was the most meaningful thing I've ever done in my life. I want to do that, like, all the time. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome, but it's probably not going to pay your bills, you know. So let's talk about it. So that turned into this thing now. He has a nonprofit that, on the side. He calls it From the Heart Renovation. And so he does home renovations for single moms that can't afford it, older people that can't afford it. He's doing now one right now where he's literally... He's raised close to $30,000 to build a room addition on the home of a family who has a special needs child, who, who, and they need just extra space in this little small crack, cracker box house they have. And it's just so beautiful to see. You see why I, I have satisfying work? I mean, it's, just, it's awesome in that way. It's such a bucket filler. A uh, couple more. We'll wrap it up. The next one for me is uh, this next one, Time Up North. I grew up in Michigan. Don't be a hater, right? I might like a football team up there that you guys have maybe heard about, but we won't go there. But anyways, 
when we were kids, we would go to northern Michigan. We'd call it up north because there's over 10,000 lakes up there. It's just beautiful. And a few years ago, we were able to purchase a small little cottage on this lake that I went to when I was a kid. And it's 690 square feet. So it's so small, but it's so awesome at the same time. And it was a mess. I didn't tell Rhonda about it before I bought it. I just went up and told her later and got forgiveness later. We went, when we went to the closing, it was the first time she saw it. We go to see it. She walks in. I'm, I'm real excited, like, what is she going to think of this place? And it was bad, it, it, but it had potential, right? So she turns around, and no joke, soon she turns around, she has tears running down her face, like, what did you do? We're going to lose our shirts over this. I'm like, just relax. So now we've redone it and everything, and, and it's, she calls it Grammy's Cottage now. She loves this place. But this is a picture one morning. I got up before sunrise, and I went out on a kayak because I wanted to see the sun come up. No filter, you guys. This is what was out there. And there's eagles around the lake, and as soon as the sun came up, they came, like, shooting out of these, these pine trees and just squawking, and, like, they're so excited the day has started. And I just, the, whenever I get to this place, um, it's a real small town, real small place, but I just love it. And I feel like when I walk in this little cottage, it's like God's been waiting for me, you know. And we get to just reconnect, you know, kind of off the mainstream of life and responsibility and all that. In a few weeks, all of our kids are coming and grandkids. Right? A little bit of this, because it's going to be kind of chaos with everybody there and close quarters, but for the most part, man, it's so good for me. And then a, a final one is this, and I didn't know this about myself until a little bit later in life. I like to redo stuff. I'm not really that good at it, but I, I'm kind of persuasive, so I get people to help me redo stuff. And I, I love seeing something old becoming new and like rediscovering its purpose, whether it's a person or a little mini bike thing I did recently or that cottage, or this was really huge for me. Joel talked about a church that we merged with. This is a church in a town of 2,000 people. It's about 30 minutes from our town. And their pastor died this past um, October. He's only 52 years old. He dropped over from a heart attack one evening, died on the spot when him and his wife were taking a walk around a track, if you can imagine that. They have six boys. So we knew a couple guys in this church, and they, they asked us to pray for him. And then we said, well, what can we do beyond prayer? How can we help you guys right now? And they said, we don't have anybody to preach for us, and so we, we started sending guys out there to preach for him. And then they said, could you help us find a pastor? And so we started uh, dialoguing with their elders about that. And then we got into this conversation about maybe merging our churches, you know, and adopting them as a multi-site campus of our church. And they were wide open to it. And, and God just began to move and work in this. And we find ourselves sitting in a lawyer's office one day, and this they're, they literally gave us their church. They gave us all the debt-free property, $100,000 in cash, all the equipment, everything. They just turned it over to us to become a multi-site of our church. And we're about three weeks into the transition now. And so the first thing we did was we shut it down for a couple weeks and we redid the auditorium, the sanctuary. And now it looks like this just a couple weeks ago. We turned it into this. Hey, look behind me. It looks like you guys, doesn't it? I got inspired by some of this stuff here when we were thinking about how to do it. 
But this was just like awesome for me, right? The church that I love, redoing something, God doing what only he can do in this space. I mean, it was just bucket filler, you know, along the way. It was hard work, but man, so meaningful. So I wrap this up by asking you, what is or what are the practices that you do that fill you up? You've got to understand that, you guys. You know who's going to figure that out for you? You. You're the only one. You can ask, you can get coaching on it, but you've got to go to school on this, and it's so important. You know, I showed earlier on some of the, the neglect that happens in our lives when we don't take care of our soul. If that's going on in your life right now, could it be because there's more of this happening than this? Above all else, guard your heart, guard your soul, because everything we do, everything we are, flows from it. Let me pray for you guys. God, we thank you so much that you are a replenishing, refueling God. We thank you that you created us with these physical bodies that have these things called souls, the spiritual realm of life. And as a culture, God, we don't understand it. We pay very little attention to it, but God, we pray that today you would impress upon all of our, our hearts and minds the need to learn soul care, to engage in it, to talk about it, to pursue it, to say no to the fast, full ways of the culture, and to pull aside, and like Mary, to sit at your feet, and to let you replenish and refuel us. We pray that you would do that for this church, God, this young church that is working and, and charging forward with so much intensity. We just pray that you would give the leaders those times of replenishment in their families, their marriages, God, and keep them strong and healthy as they continue to lead this great church. We love you and we thank you so much for this day to realize how amazing you are as our Heavenly Father. And we honor you today for that. And of course, we honor these dads as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.